Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is Councilman Mike O'Brien, Michael O'Brien, and he's going to talk about his tenure on the Albany Common Council. So, Mike, you've been on the council quite a quite a while, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it'll be 20 years uh, at the end of this year. I first ran in 2001, and I ran in that primary, which, by the way, was scheduled for September 11th, 2001. Uh, oh, wow. The primary got delayed for two weeks, and uh, when they had the actual primary two weeks later, I was on duty with the National Guard down in New York City, where I stayed for approximately two months. Um, with, uh, you know, the 9-11 efforts. So that was, uh, that was, so then my first actual day in the council was January 1 of 2002. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's been interesting. You know, I, uh, the main committee that, that I've been on and that uh, I've chaired now for 16 years is general services. Um but I've also at times, you know, I've also served in the law committee and served in the uh, served in the finance committee. And I at times have been on the public safety committee, but not in quite a while. So uh, the council is interesting because you get acquainted with the fact that there are a lot of uh, laws and regulations involved in local government, and you never know know them all. So you rely on the advice you get. Uh, from commissioners and from club council. But the, I think the most interesting thing is the fact that you're working with 14 other people, 15 counting the council presidents, and more when you count the people in, in the executive branch. So nobody gets to, uh, you know, say, I'm only going to do it my way. You have to work uh, open-mindedly uh, and similarly with uh, everybody else, which I personally think is a good experience, is a good learning experience. And the council is so diverse from backgrounds, uh, you know, and even by age. Um, we've had people, since I've been on the council, we've had people in their 20s. And then uh, I'm now the oldest council member at 76, Uh I don't know why. If I had to guess the average age of the council member, it's probably around 50. Um, but the increasing number of younger people on, every time there's always been somebody who gets first elected in their, still in, in their 20s and a number that are in their 30s. So it's kind of interesting to get the young perspective, to get the uh, uptown perspective, the downtown perspective, get people of all ethnicities and and racial groups, we have representation. Uh, actually, we have, I'm trying to count the number, we have a significant number of African-American council people. We have two Hispanic council people, and we have a pretty good balance of male-female. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, it is an interesting experience to listen to other people's perspectives, other people's expertise, other people's interests, and to come to some kind of a melding of opinions such that we get stuff done. You know, Mike, when I... I, 
I'm sorry. When I uh, invited you to come on Focus on Albany, I also invited the four other retiring council people to come on, and you're the only... You're the only council person that responded, and the other retirees uh, are um, in the sixth ward, uh, right? Yeah, the other um, retirees are. Uh, uh, let me see. I'm looking at the whole list now. Uh, Joe Joe Igo, he's from a, right. Uh, he's from the fourteenth. Uh, Rich right. Donahue's from the sixth. Right. Jackson's from the ninth. Kathy Fahey, she is from the seventh. Right. And myself from, from, right. from the twelfth. So, as of right now, some of us did. Some some of us went to a Cana meeting uh, to talk about our. There, there was a Cana meeting that uh, uh, Judy, myself, and Richard went to. Okay. To uh, kind, of, kind of give our perspectives. Okay, so but, if 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 somebody's listening to this and they have a a retiring uh, council member, um, I'm still the invitation is still open to the other four council members to come on focus on Albany. So. Um, so from from the early twenty first century till now, yeah. has it's been an, an um, enlightening enlightening experience yes, yes. for you? And, yes, and um, it seems to me that the council has become more independent and more assertive uh, the longer. You know, as as years have gone on, um, particularly now. I mean, you know, there are a couple things where uh, where we disagree, and I'm not saying that the uh, administration is bad or not. Uh, they've done some very good things, but one of the things which I know the council has become active on now is, you know, we're we're in this unique situation where we get $81 million of federal ARPA money. That's mm-hmm. money to pull us out of the COVA slump. Uh, slump in the, uh, you know, obviously we lost revenues and that's what ARPA money is intended to, you know, to take care of. Um, and, you know, it was interesting because obviously, you know, some of that money is going to be spent on debts that we incurred in 2020. My understanding with the ARPA money is we have to find a purpose for it, you know, spread out over four years. So we have to commit all of that by the end of 2024. Um, So some of it went to fill deficiencies from the first year of public 2020. Some went to fill, and, and we have no problem with that. Uh, some went to fill deficiencies in 2021, but but an interesting thing happened in 2021. The mayor said that she was going to give a three percent retroactive raise to the non-union employees, 
because the union employees are all bound by whatever their collective bargaining mm-hmm. agreement is. And that was uh, in the, I forget the, the exact amount of money, but it was certainly uh, 3% back for the two years of the non-union workers was probably the best part of a million dollars. It might even have exceeded them. And then another thing of that, you know, that and and we were never asked to to approve that. And there's there's a thing in our charter that you know, obviously, no 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 budget is perfect, and in any kind of government, you're going to be transferring funds throughout the year. So what Albany has in its charter, and there's not that many cities do it like 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 this, but it creates a a separate board apart from the council, which which can transfer money. Uh, but anything exceeding 4%, you know, when you get to the stage where you transfer more than 4% of the budget, the, the charter seems to require specifically council approval. So with these transfers that were occurring this year, uh, back, you know, retroactive, uh, they broke the 4% barrier because they – spent a lot of money on fire department turnout gear, you know, essential stuff, and the 3% raise for non-union workers across the board. So we inquired about it. Well, didn't this break the rule of succeeding 4, 4%? And a revelation was made to us, which uh, I think a lot of council members kind of challenged the accuracy of this interpretation, but both the city auditor and the mayor's office said, oh, no, the 4% cap doesn't apply. This is not budgeted money. This is all federal money, and it's not budgeted. In other words, it was, we didn't know we were going to get it, so obviously we didn't put it into the 2021 budget. Mm-hmm. But that explanation rang kind of hollow. Because every year we get federal CDBG money, community block grant development money, nowhere near $81 million, but enough that the council is given a role in approving where it goes. And it goes to community agencies, all of it, that were mostly it does. So that argument was raised uh, that... Uh, you know, it's still subject to council approval. But uh, so, so, so when the budget got passed this year, the council put a couple of amendments regarding the money that had gone retroactive uh, to cover 2020, 2021, and the money for the future. Uh, and one of the like specifically, one of the things was the mayor's office was going to put um, $16 million for 2021 into the fund balance, which we don't know exactly what the fund balance is until the early part of 2022 when all the audits are done. But when we did all of our budget talks, we had the treasurer come in. We had the uh, city budget director come in. And my understanding is the rule of thumb is your fund balance shouldn't exceed 10% of what your budget is. But if six, and and we asked the budget director, well, where do you think the fund balance is going to be at the at the end of the year 2021? So he gave us a figure which 
I think it was somewhere around $7 million, which would be below that 10% amount, which is considered healthy. So, uh, but the mayor's, um, the mayor proposed putting $16 million, which would have brought the fund balance up, if I'm doing the arithmetic right, well into about maybe 20, 24, $25 million, which we interpreted to be over the amount that the you know, state auditor says is appropriate. And then the question comes up, well, where can the fund balance be spent? Well, wherever, basically, it would be in the mayor's discretion if she's saying, these aren't budgeted monies. So we put in the uh, budget ordinance, uh, mostly gave the mayor everything that they had asked for, and the budget director said, Yes, it looks like 2022 is going to be solvent according to this budget, but we put the provision in that we cut down the, the amount of money that was going to go into the fund balance. Now, if the mayor has some emergency to spend it on, I'm sure the new council would, would, would approve it. But to our surprise, the mayor vetoed that. She vetoed our pronouncements on that money she was transferring back into 2021. And insisted that we didn't have the authority to declare all of this ARPA money as budgeted money requiring council approval. So that's going to be fought over on Monday night, the uh, potential override. Now, the mayor gets a line item veto, so it didn't affect 99%, you know, it didn't affect most, most of the budget, but it would affect this interpretation that the council doesn't, you know, they only get a once-a-year vote on how things are going to be spent, and this independent uh, E&A board can override it even if it exceeds 4% of the whole year's, year's budget. So that, that I think, is patently wrong. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if, our, uh, if the override, if the mayor's veto gets over, overridden. Uh, and then we have the whole USDO, that's the zoning ordinance, uh, when this is, this is interesting, you know, the zoning ordinance took about three or four years to write, and we passed it in October of 2017, October or in November, with a provision that it would be reviewed and updated. Well, there were, there have been a couple of updates made to it, but this now, four years later, is the first overall update. And it needed updating, in my, in my opinion, I mean, there were some, you know, things that needed to be clarified, particularly like uh, heights of buildings that abut residential neighborhoods, uh, uh, the amount of landscaping that has to surround buildings, because some of these buildings got approved um, with virtually no landscaping around them, like the one that's going up on Western Avenue. Um, there's a proposal for Calvin, which hasn't gotten any permission yet, but that was going to try and put 63 apartments on 1.8 acres, which basically, literally, the, the developer was saying, oh, well, landscaping includes a green roof. Well, that's not really the intent of the way it was written. So it's tidying up some of these, I wouldn't even call them loopholes. I would call them misinterpretation. And mm -hmm. we tidied up some of the other ones. I know when we had the whole argument about citing a blood plasma, a paid blood plasma clinic where you get paid to right. donate blood once, once a week, and we never intended that to be part of the code, 
but a a, uh, a creative zoning board, and I don't know how they did it or who told them to do it, but they did it. They said, oh, uh, collecting blood plasma is the same thing as light manufacturing. <laughs> that baffled, you know, that was a stretch. And we actually amended the ordinance at that time specifically to say, <laughs> no, it's not light manufacturing. And we put various requirements. I mean, it would seem to me, logically, if you want to create a blood plasma, uh, you know, paid money-making blood plasma thing, you would locate it in something that's akin to a medical facility. But mm-hmm. this particular company preferred strip malls on bus routes. So they had profit in mind. And it's funny because when we specifically asked them, well, well what, uh, you know, what medical services do you provide if there's an untoward incident? We call 911. <laughs> so they regarded it as a, you know, uh, very profitable, lucrative uh, commercial business designed for a strip mall. We disagreed with that. And mm-hmm. ironically and surprisingly, the mayor vetoed that. She vetoed it, and we overrode her veto. And the, her veto message was virtually word for word what the developer's attorney had said was, were, were his objections to it. Unconstitutional, arbitrary, capricious, and uh, when it got challenged in court, the court said, no, it's not unconstitutional, and it's not arbitrary and capricious. And nobody was operating, you know, there were no council members operating for personal motives. So I remember, uh, I, I remember doing shows with Zach Simpson on the... the uh, oh, Zach was uh, very much involved, yes. Yes? Yeah, yeah, he, he was a big help. As was Hyde. I mean, Hyde, uh, Hyde he's going to be my, my successor. And he's an attorney uh, who does land use planning and, and environmental law. And both of them are tremendous helps. As was the Neighborhood Association. We've got a lot of people on board with us. And uh, it paid off. It uh, paid off, I say, towards good, good government and good land use policy. In, in, in the city of Albany. Now, you know, a council and a mayor are never going to collectively agree on 100% of everything. And very often we give the benefit of the doubt, you know. If they tell us that there's a need here, um, you know, rather more so, well, that, that's more of a priority than a need there, usually we'll wind up deferring if they can give us an explanation. But, you know, certain things I think you know, have to be scrutinized by the council. Any significant change in how the budget was going to be spent or how money that comes into the city, whether we originally, when we drafted the 2021 budget, we thought we might get federal aid, but we didn't realize it was going to be as much as it as it turned out to be. And, of course, it does have to be committed to so we don't forfeit it. So I can see the mayor's point in wanting to, you know, include it into a certain year, even though all the details haven't been figured out. That that concept, I guess, is not is not bad. But at some point, they let the council know what what you're thinking of, what you're planning on, and run it by them, and listen to them if they have any other suggestions as to how it might be might be also spent. 
that's so kind you, of where we are now. So you decided to run at the turn of the century. What made yes. you decide to run? What made you decide to run for well, the common council? I had been active in the neighborhood association. My neighborhood association was the Upper Washington. I had been active for a long time. Uh, God, at least at least since the 1980s, and 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 I was a, a committee person too. Uh, and I and I just happened to live in the neighborhood that I grew up in. So I had been involved in the neighborhood association and as a committee person. So it seemed like a natural to me when my predecessor was retiring that I would express an interest. But then there was an interesting dynamic, which was probably really independent of me as a person. But there was, do you remember when uh, there was a mayoral primary between Harold Joyce and Jerry Jennings, uh, which uh, Jerry, mm-hmm. Jerry won that primary. But mm-hmm. it was always perceived that there were like two factions and Harold was our ward leader. And so, so when I ran, I was backed by Harold. So that meant that Jerry wasn't going to support me. So he ran his own candidate. And that's what the primary was between, or a lot of people perceived it as not just between two, two personalities, but between two camps. Um, fortunately, I won it. I, I, you know, I like to attribute that to the fact that, that I knew the neighborhood, having lived in it for quite a while and having been active. Um, and, um, you know, and I can't say that, I mean, Jerry wasn't, wasn't bad to me. Uh, I wasn't one of his confidence, but but he wasn't bad to me once I won the primary. Uh, so that's that's why I did it because I uh, okay. I just became familiar with doing community things. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and also doing a lot of things. I had my kids were growing up. My my kids were teenagers when I first got onto the council, so I was used to a lot of neighborhood youth activities, the schools, all well all sorts of aspects of living in my part of Albany. So that's why I did. So, so you've been on the council for 20 years. What made you decide it's time to retire? Uh, well, 20 years, I think, is a nice round number. I now have six grandchildren, all of whom live in the Capital District, that, we're, that my wife and I are actively involved with, not... Not a day goes by that we don't see at least one of them. So uh, I felt, and the council was taking up a lot of time. So, and, you know, I figured uh, you need a certain amount of turnover. 20 years, I think, is a sufficient time to have served in, uh, in, in any particular elective role. So that was what was guiding me, and I uh, retired. I volunteer in some you know, in some other things, like I volunteer with the Roman County Historical Association and with uh, the International Center of Capital Region. But mostly my free time is spent, uh, or a lot of my free time every day is spent um, with some of my grandkids who range in age from newborn to eight. So, and yeah. that's, I don't know, that's pretty enjoyable. So or doing some years, recreational activities. 
So 20 years is a while. What's your view on term limits? Are you for them or against them? Well, I'm generally not for them. First of all, what are they going to decide as the appropriate term term limit? Um, uh, unless they said 20, 20 years uh, or, or maybe 16 years, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but, no, for the most part, and I, I guess the argument is every election is a term limit. I mean, you're limited to a four-year term. Now, mm-hmm. in Albany, most of the time the incumbents win. Uh, this is this is the first year since I've been on the council that every in, that usually not every incumbent wins. Uh, most most of them do, but every other election cycle that I went through, some one or two, or possibly three, incumbents lose. So that I guess shows you that there are term limits, uh, at least in the voters' mind. So, but mm-hmm. this is the first year that every incumbent, there were five of us leaving, and everybody who was an incumbent, and many of them were challenged, but everybody mm-hmm. who was an incumbent won. And this is the first time since I've been on the council that I've seen that. So we just have a couple of minutes left. In your 20-year okay. tenure, what is the most outstanding memory that you have Oh, well, the most. Well, uh, it's tough to bring it down to one. Like, I was very involved with all the landfill stuff because I would chair the General Services Committee. So uh, that was the time when we started to impose recycling, and we basically uh, started to predict uh, an end date to the landfill. So that was pretty significant. I think Mm -hmm. the fact that we challenged a major developer, it was Nigro who owned Sanford Plaza. He's one of the biggest, um, you know, retail space owners in the whole capital district. Uh, The fact Mm -hmm. that we successfully challenged that pressure, uh, I think that was a big moment too. Uh, You know, I'll always remember that one. But I think a lot of the work on the landfill, and one that I take, you know, pride in, too, was when I first came on board, they did not have any system for storing streets. You would get a street paving list, and it was kind of mysterious as to how they decided on it. The state of New York had a system for scoring pavement, paved roads. So we actually passed um, an ordinance requiring that the city adopt the state method for scoring streets and then uh, we've been doing it now for probably about you know, 15 or 16 years we actually hire <laughs> capital district transportation committee to do that scoring and that is the principal document that uh, the street paving list is uh, is based on so 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 those several things you know the scoring of making equitable the street paving program uh, you know, bringing in recycling and uh, setting an end date for, for our landfill operations because we just don't have any space within the city. And I think okay. successfully challenging a major developer. For, for okay, Mike, our time is up. 
I wish you the best of luck in in your retirement. You've been listening to Councilman Mike O'Brien talking about his tenure on the Albany Common Council. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is focused on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day and happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you.